Hello, I'm Juliette Littman. And I am Joe House. Welcome to Ringer Food, the Ringer's new hub for all your food-related content. You may have known this feed as House of Carbs, and don't worry, that's not totally going away. We will be launching two new shows on the feed, and the first is Food News with me and David Jacoby. You may remember us from our days at Grantland. Well, Jacoby and I are back to go over the news, sample snacks, share some personal tales of food news, some global tales of food news. Who knows what else is to come? And House, what are you going to be doing? Oh, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades. We are back. We've done it. Here to tell you that we are reigniting House of Carbs with a whole new slate of tasty episodes throughout the year. We are starting with a football fracas, a gridiron gobble fest. We're doing NFL playoff potluck featuring taste tests of the iconic food item or items of every playoff city to determine which city reigns supreme. Ringer Food is starting up this Wednesday, January 12th. That's so soon. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, here's to the next 10 years, it's Andy Greenwald! Aww. Is this the first day of the rest of our lives? I think so. What's going on, man? It's Monday in America. Uh, to uh, And also, you know, we, we might have some some like international listeners for all I know. I haven't really checked the stats recently. Uh, so hello to everybody listening. We're going to talk about some popular culture, some TV stuff today. But Andy, how are you? Oh, I'm good, Chris. So listen, to celebrate um, our our decade on the air, you know, I, I did a little, uh, little dumpster diving oh. to look for some evidence from our last 10 years of podcasting. And the truth is, we are... Very good friends, but we are also a little bit like Clark Kent and Superman in that we are rarely photographed together in the same place. I'm a bad, I don't really do a lot of like personal record keeping in that regard. I don't have a lot of pictures from my life, sadly, I guess. But like, you know, for a while there, I was pretty into the disposable camera. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I just never got them developed. Um, that was a bridge too far. And then also like, I don't know, I just feel like, the, you know, like, they didn't really have a lot of cameras in your face in bars in New York City in the early 2000s, did they? No, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. H- however, um, in I my... I still become a Supreme Court justice <laughs> because of that. The, the odds are not entirely in your favor, but they're looking up. Um, but like, I did Demographically, find... I might not be uh-huh. what you're looking for. I also I, may... I was going to leave that. <laughs> I was going to leave that. Joe Biden. That would be an incredible move. For President Joey Byron, if he was just like, I'm going to appoint, I, I know all you special interest groups are clamoring, but I'm going to appoint a white, unqualified man in his <laughs> mid 40s who That's feels right. like maybe he could swing it. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I'm just making this up as I go along here, but that's a demographic the Democratic Party needs to work on. We had heard some rumors about the early aughts in New York City, but you know what? <laughs> I haven't seen the any record. photos. Yeah. Um, I did find uh, a very, there's very few photos of us, but I did find a photo of us from a party, mm-hmm. uh, New Year's Eve party in 1997. And uh, I posted on the internet, great, great response. Really yeah. kind. Mostly, you know what? Mostly kind. Yes. I would say 70 to 80% kind. Um, among the, 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 the takeaways from this photo, and I, and I hope people check it out, um, People were very, very, very interested 
to see your jacket that mm-hmm. you're wearing. Yeah, that's my dad's college leather jacket. It's incredible. My late father's leather jacket. Do you, which, which, by the way, is a, a fantastic song yeah. uh, <laughs> by the Pogues. Um, did do you still have the jacket? People were asking. It was my late father's jacket. Uh, I do still have the jacket. Cue the fiddle. Um, I'm looking. I I took it. It, it needs some work done on it. Like there's a sure. couple of like tears in like the lining now. Uh, just mm-hmm. because it's like I think at this point 50 years, 60 years old. Um, but yeah, like um, I, I still have it. So it's, it's a wonderful memento. Both well, of New Year's uh, Eve and of my father. Are, <laughs> in that order? Yeah. Our our, our, our mate Conrad, uh, one of the creators of industry, wanted to know where it was from. Yeah, it's um, from his I, homeland. What what I wanted to, to though, to try to communicate to people that I wasn't really able to do was we were, and then I wanted to interrogate you about this because I, I have a lot of memories about this night. Um, but I the main thing that I remember is that we were like, there's not much on for New Year's. Also, we were underage, so I don't know what we could have, th- you know, what we thought we were going to get up to. But we definitely were like, let's dress up and tell people to dress up. And so there are other photos too. And like most people are wearing like leather jackets and sunglasses. What I want to know, and I, you, I brought a jacket. You make it sound I went like, like it's a, like Al Pacino's cruising. <laughs> like, like we were like. It, well, <laughs> I feel like it was more like. Um, Tim Robbins cruising. You know what I mean? Like who's a gentler actor? It was not that. But I I went to a vintage store and bought a a little leather jacket that I quickly, quickly doffed. But I was wearing like a silk purple shirt, which is not something that I normally wore or ever wore again. Britpop is huge back then. But so my, my question for you, Chris, is what was the theme? Like, were we just like, Hey, remember train spotting from last year? We'll do yeah. our version. I think it of was that? like kind of like that, and like we were really into suede at the time. Remember, we went and saw suede at like the Paradise for or my twentieth birthday. Yeah, yeah, we went to see suede, uh, the great English band suede. They got their gear stolen the night before, and they had to play an acoustic set, something they'd never ever done before. I feel like there was a real glam vibe happening right around then. Yeah. Oh, that Velvet Goldmine movie had come mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So I think that there was a lot of like. Exploration of that space. That's what we were working with. So, so we were like, we're going to have a bunch of twenty-year-olds home from college. We're going to have a glam New Year's Eve party. Um, quick, let me ask my girlfriend Jessica if we can host it at her dad's house <laughs> on the main line. And let me see if like anyone will sell us any streets Pete Strawberry Blonde Ale. Yeah, no yeah, that would be that would be as good as it gets. Okay, yeah. well, so that was that was a nice memory. I do. I feel like that was a fun time. Oh Still, yeah, I mean, like it was. It was a very. I mean, like that was the. Those are the building blocks of our relationship and the building blocks of this podcast. When you think about it, yeah. For uh, fifteen years later, we would start podcasting. That's so right. you could really see, you could feel the gears turning. Um, Chris, I had another thing. Okay, because I, you know, we talked to. The again, he he disputes this, but we're going to continue to call him the founder of our podcast, David Jacoby from ESPN's Jalen and Jacoby now. Uh, and he was once again reminding us last week of his rules for podcasting, which we have have already broken as we flouted. And I am (laughs) not just breaking it, this is obnoxious. I am stomping on it. We are going to talk about television today. We're going to talk about Abbott Elementary, we're going to talk about uh, the Halo show coming to Paramount Plus, we're going to talk about Chris's fave 1883. But first, I have a question for you, and I kind of, and this is actually some crowdsourcing maybe to our listeners as well. I don't think we have music for this, but this would be a dispatch from Daddington Island. Should we? Oh, so we shouldn't use the Chris Ryan uh, sings the Pogues. Use the Chernobyl music. You know <laughs> okay. what I mean? Like we're all we're all going through it. Is okay, this good? So- is this about sing too? No. Do you have okay. questions about sing too? No, I just don't really get it. Like I don't really get. Oh, there's just so many sequels in these these kids movies now, and I'm just like, when when who has the time? And when did these like when did yeah. Sing One come out? And and Sing One made like 360 million dollars or something. Yeah, I have an issue with these movies that are like jukebox musicals for pop hits of the last 20 years. You know, where it's just oh, like, is that uh, what Sing is? Okay, I mean there there is some upside, such as my younger daughter requests Daft Punk, hmm. so I think she would have done really well at our New Year's Eve 1997 party. <laughs> She's not so good at staying up late, but neither am I anymore, honestly. So, but this is, it's not about Sing. It's not about an animated movie per se, but this is the, the realm of possibility. So so today I'm driving the kids to school and they were like, um, West Side Story, we want to listen to West Side Story. And I was like, you know what? Daddy's pick today. Daddy's 
Daddy's programming the hits. Mm-hmm. And this went over terribly. <laughs> this was not well received. Um, Wait, but then, they wanted to listen to West Side Story. Yes. They, do they have, they have not seen West Side Story, I would imagine. We started watching it with them, yes. Okay. Um, but I had forgotten that we had shown our older daughter the original West Side Story a number of years ago, which caused her to be the only preschooler in America deathly afraid of rumbles. <laughs> she thought they were going to happen, and she was really, really scarred by this. So they watched the beginning of this one, and they finally demanded that we turn it off when they saw Ansel Elgort's wooden performance. Okay. They were like, this is not, no. They, they, <laughs> well they were just like, yeah. And, and anyway, they wanted to listen to West Side Story. Uh, I didn't. And then my younger daughter was like, dad, you like, mom likes calming music. You like rock and roll music. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's a rap on me. That's as good as it'll ever get. That is the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. So I was like, um, you know, I felt like this was an opening. Everything is a teachable moment. I was like, you know, when you're not in the car, Sometimes I listen to loud rap music in the car. And mm-hmm. they were like, no, you don't. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. This is like when they found out that I saw Scream 5. <laughs> yeah, they were mortified. I, well, this, I was like, okay, girls, do you know who DJ K Slay is? No, I did not. I didn't go down that road. But I was like, okay, well, what, what, what's something that I could play them that would like not be, you know, shocking at eight in the morning? So I, I played a De La Soul track in the car. Mm-hmm. And they liked it. But here's what worried me, and here's where I need your help and your in your in your advice. They were like, "This is good," and I was like, "Awesome! I'm so glad." And they were like, "This sounds like Hamilton." I'm like, mm-hmm, "Yeah, okay, it's like reverse osmosis." But yes, sure. Manuel Miranda likes De La Soul. And then they were like, "This sounds like the song at the end of the credits of the Lego Movie Two, which is Lonely Island." Uh huh. So I was like. Technically, yes, in the sense that, like, you know, The Roots and John Philip Sousa both use tubas. Right. Okay. So, like, it's it's broad, but yes. <laughs> but then I was like, well, girls, like, this is, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. And so Was then it I was the like, De La song from Spider-Man or was it like, what, what were you playing? Uh, rock Cocaine Flow. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they don't say we like rock cocaine. They didn't tell them the name of it. You know, like like MF Doom talks about Toucan Sam. It's fine. Okay. Um, my question for you and to our listeners is, and I, and, and this is going to come up when you have your 15-year-old ward mm-hmm. that you adopt. So I want you to be in front of this. How can I do this without uh, teaching them the wrong lessons or vocabulary? How can you get them into rap? Like, what could I, what should I play children? Well, don't they have a bunch of like clean versions of rap albums? Do they still? Can I yeah, ask? Yeah, sure. Can you use the internal Spotify Slack to get me that? Can you just can you just can you just get me? <laughs> I think that a they still have, they still it? have clean versions of rap records. It, they'll probably be like, "Dad, what does that mean?" But I think you're all you're in the clear. What, I'm, I'm trying to think of also like what's other like family friendly rap that isn't corny. You know, like Daylaw's a really good example. The JBs you could play a little bit of Tribe. I bet. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think you. I think you're fine. I, the interesting thing is going to be like whether or not you feel like you're ever like really betraying the elements of hip hop, and whether or not like they'll be <laughs> like, "Oh, this sounds like Hamilton," or and you were like, "No, Hamilton sounds like this." Like, and Chris, you you feel like the need to the, like the, really explain the history of it. The picture I posted on the internet betrays <laughs> betrays the culture of hip hop. <laughs> that was every that was the day end, officially the end of breakdancing when we did that. Every day I betray the culture. Okay, I think so. This wasn't a big deal. I was stressing this today. Don't worry about clearly. it. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for the dispatch from Daddington. And I wanted to start here, Andy. I think so. Okay. We have a couple of things we want to talk about. There was a big new Halo trailer, uh, which we will be doing uh, a shot-by-shot analysis of on our Patreon. You can subscribe there. Um, that'll be a five-and-a-half-hour podcast. No, like, I, uh-huh. you know, we mentioned 1997. One of my fondest and earliest memories of, of hanging out with you, at least in, in the 2000s, is us playing Halo together. So that's why we jokingly kind of are keeping up on the, on the Master Chief beat here. I also am, like, going into it with an open mind. I mean, this has been a very, very, very long time getting to the screen for this project, this blockbuster adaptation of this Xbox game, Halo. It was originally originally supposed to be on Showtime. It's moved to Paramount+. Plus. I think it's gone through a couple of different directors and showrunners. And Kyle Killen was, is involved, right? And Kyle Killen's a involved, showrunner. Yeah. You and I have kept our eye on uh, throughout, like, the, the time we've been podcasting together. Now, Pablo Schreiber s- stars as Master Chief. By the way, Chief. just... 
side note, I believe the first guest ever on Hollywood Prospectus was Kyle Killen when I interviewed was that, him for- Was that HP or was that AG? Uh, that was HP before the split that yeah, almost tore the this podcast to the ground. <laughs> I can't wait till Hillary Mantle writes about our, 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 our schism. You know, I've been thinking back to my comments last week, my incredulity over the fact that the book of Boba Fett just had an episode of Mandalorian mm-hmm. in it, like the treat inside of a Cracker Jack box. And I realized that's kind of what happened to my solo that's podcast. Like you were the original bottle episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I now I, I, I retract my incredulity. It's fine. It's normal. I look forward to future bottle episodes of me on this podcast. So we could talk a little bit about um, Halo in general, if you want to, or this specific trailer. I don't know like really what, how hotly anticipated this is, but I kind of wanted to tie it into a comment I saw, a quote I saw in Lucas Shaw's uh, Bloomberg newsletter that comes out, I think, on Sunday nights or Mondays, but it's a it's a really handy and wonderfully written newsletter about the state of the streaming industry at large. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. a quote from Jason Clark, who is the Warner Media chief. I think sometimes was there, there was a point where it was like, is Jason Clark going to stay the Warner Media chief? He's outgoing. Right? He's leaving. Outgoing. And yeah. I just want to read you he- this quote that he has in the in the you know he obviously was the person who engineered the controversial day and date HBO Max movie release policy that mm-hmm. gave us Dune and the Matrix on HBO Max the day of their release. And it sounds like it was very good for HBO Max, but very um, problematic for the movie industry. Uh, this is a quote from uh, Lucas's newsletter. This is what Jason Clark said. And this he was talking about uh, Netflix's recent stock issues or stock price issues and their uh, underperformance of where they thought they would be in terms of subscribers for this quarter. Quote, if there is a ceiling and everything has a ceiling, it will be closer to 1 billion versus 200 million. He's talking about subscribers and change. I'm not commenting on who gets to that number of a billion subscribers, but I don't think folks truly appreciate yet just how much value is present in a great streaming service. Now, I think that the overall gist of what Jason Kalar is talking about here is talking about like, will there ever be a billion subscriber streaming service and he goes on to kind of talk a little bit about how there's possible consolidation coming down the line. I think people have speculated that Paramount Plus or Peacock could mm-hmm. be one of those uh, networks or streaming services that could be up for up for up for grabs if if it ever came to that. Mm-hmm. I I got a question though because you know obviously Paramount mm-hmm. Plus is they've got the Sheridan universe they're making Halo they're trying to get these blockbusters going they've got the the majority of the CBS library to be watched. What do you think a billion subscriber streaming service would look like? Um, well, I guess I have three-point response. One is, this sounds preposterous to me, but Jason Kalar has been right about stuff to a degree that, um, you know, certainly puts us to shame, but also about stuff in ways that we haven't thought about it because I think that his business has been to be, he, he's been in the future business, which sounds ridiculous, but as, is actually what he ought to be in. And, you know, our resistance to the movie thing was more in line with uh, Christopher Nolan's resistance to the putting the movies on streaming thing, right? Like, it, movies aren't supposed to be there. Right. And then, but then once you put them there, it makes sense for the business, regardless of whether that makes sense for the Turner Classic Film subscriber in your in your life. Turner Classic Film subscriber has HBO Max, though, so mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't matter what that person thinks. The second point I would make is I think you're correct to talk about consolidation because there are a limited number. There aren't, you know, actually there is a finite number. There are a finite number of consumers in the world. There are a finite number of potential subscribers to anything due to disposable income and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there's also uh, the only way to get more past what we perceive of as a ceiling is to consolidate and to say, I know that you previously were not subscribing to HBO Max, but now that we have purchased um, whoever they end up purchasing or, or merging with, we have the thing you want. And so now mm-hmm. you have to be on board too. And Disney was at the forefront of that with the with Bob Iger's um, acquisition strategy, which has you know put them in their pole position for the 21st century in terms of we have three of the things that everybody wants to watch, regardless of what they think of it, you know, or, or regardless of what the product is. If it's a new Marvel thing, if it's a new Star Wars thing, um, honestly, honestly, a new Pixar thing or, yeah, or I mean, Disney animated sure. as well. Um, I, I think as soon as you, you asked what it looked like, my thoughts went outside of TV and went to 
other recent news, which was the news that Microsoft was buying Activision Blizzard, the mm-hmm. gaming giant, for like $95 a share. And I think it's like, it's, it's just it's just funny money. It was all cash transaction valued at $70 billion. Right. And we don't really, and we're about to talk about Halo, but we don't generally talk about video games um, on the podcast, but the reach of them is so enormous. And obviously, we are the last people to say that, you know, a, a blockbuster game is incredible, like multiple times more profitable than a popular film um, or can be. So that sort of rapacious, just embiggening mm-hmm. is what it would look like, right? Yeah. It would be yeah. one of these services being like, it's not we have all of the things you like now. So it would be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the other major so this franchise is the, tent poles. But I, I actually will tell you one, and I, I don't even know what this gets you to, but I was going to say the NFL, you know, like. Okay, was, right, right. So I was like, a billion yeah, we have is to look an, outside of the way is an inconceivable it. number in a lot of ways, although not inconceivable if there are just fewer streaming services to subscribe to, right? Like if you simply have to make a choice between Max, Netflix, and uh, Disney, or all three, obviously then like the the playing field gets kind of leveled, and you're you're just like you're talking about your disposable income. Even if that number goes up to twenty bucks a month, twenty two bucks a month, whatever it would be to have one of those services, because there's so little else to choose from. But I was, to myself, I was just kind of like thinking, well, what would be the thing that would get people who don't already have streaming to feel like they finally mm-hmm. needed to do it? And to me, it would be the NFL. It would be where you could watch live football. And, you know, the a couple two weeks ago, there was this Bills-Chiefs game, which is one of those sporting events that mm-hmm. makes you like want to call your parents to be like, if you're not watching this, you should turn it on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or call you and tell you that. That's and how it plays out. 52 million people at its peak watched Chiefs Bills. That's an obscene number that like we haven't really like grappled with in a long time. When you get to the end of the year, typically like 10 or 15 of the top 20 things in the, in the most watched, you know, programs of the year are usually an NFL game. So something like the NFL would kind of start to make sense to me. Okay. But even that, even at the most high, like 50 million people watch this game, that's still not a billion people. Well, okay, so let's 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 all pretend to be Justin Timberlake in the social network for a second. Okay, right. And this is the kind of thing where actually like getting someone like Lucas would be helpful because we are fully speculating. We are way out over our skis on this. But you can connect some dots. I don't actually know the specifics of how these deals are made, but you're talking about, I think you're right to begin by saying, how do you get to a billion people? Um, Okay, NFL. The NFL is not a billion people popular. The NFL is very popular here, and they've done a pretty good job of exporting it to certain parts of the world, but it's not soccer. Soccer is soccer. So you get the World Cup, right? The World Cup is probably reliably the most watched global event in the year that it's on. Is that Mm -hmm. fair to say? Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right now, I imagine the World Cup rights are sold country by country or region by region. Those types of deals, I think, might be the next to go in this race to globalization that is being led by the richest corporations on the planet. Netflix, we talked about the other week, want to break hit shows globally. And everywhere you watch Squid Game, for example, you're watching it on Netflix. It is not licensed. It is not a franchise that is offered up to different places. It mm-hmm. is a Netflix thing, and you have to have Netflix. And Netflix now, in 2022, is in most places in the world, so you can watch it. And it's worked. It worked. So what happens when one of these companies that has the pockets and the interest to go global, and I'm looking at Amazon, let's say, says, we want to be the World Cup place. And mm-hmm. also, you can click buy a soccer ball on the side of your screen or whatever sure. and have it delivered. What would that price tag look like? What would it do to regional agreements? And what? It would be insane. And it would cause, I mean, nations would bring lost, like it would be an issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Scandinavia would not be like, you cannot take football away from us and put it on your gilded luxury yacht. Like you cannot do that. Right. But- that is a play, right? That is a play to get to a billion viewers. It would be like, we are we are now the only place to watch the thing that you all want to watch. 
Um, I mean, it's kind of scary to think about. Honestly, wasn't this actually essentially the gambit of Peacock? Wasn't Peacock put on the timeline that it was put on to hit an Olympics? Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, the value of the Olympics to NBC Universal has been enormous, and it but it's taken a big hit in the last few years, obviously because of the pandemic, but also as we've shifted from a when we were growing up, the Olympics were hey, it's eight p.m. Mm-hmm. Let's all settle down with the rest of America and yeah. watch three heavily watch curated hours. Yeah, right. Of the Olympics. Yeah. And now everything happens all the time and you're going to get spoiled, uh, especially if the time zones are non-American. And so the idea was we have a hub now that can be constantly broadcasting everything. So you can watch it live and then you can also watch the, you know, the, the, the version of it that has the, the human interest stories and everything in the evening. That is kind of the play. And, and it, it, it's the role of I think it would have to be a combo platter. I think this is the point that you're making correctly. It would have to be a, we need this right now and it's the only place we're going to get it, which is what causes the World Cup or Bill's Chiefs to have outrageous ratings still. Um, Plus, you also need Disney movies for your kids and Star Wars movies for your people who used to be kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And whatever else, Harry Potter yeah, TV show I, the, or God the reason else is coming. why I was tying this to Halo is that I'm curious whether or not the path to streaming Valhalla for these companies is a blockbuster or not. Like, is mm-hmm. it? Because I think that we've seen, obviously, and we've discussed quite a bit, whether it's Netflix with The Witcher or Amazon with Wheel of Time and Lord of the Rings, HBO with House of the Dragon. You've you discussed, I think, when we were we were talked about like two weeks ago or something, you were talking about how like the Harry Potter IP is just out there for mm-hmm. HBO max to kind of mm-hmm. get involved in whether or not blockbuster hunting is the path to, uh, mm-hmm. getting a billion subscribers or, or becoming one of the three standing streaming services or whether it's like the Magnolia network, the NFL, yeah. the bachelor I, and, you know, or something, you know, I, I think it's a volume business. And I think, you know, Probably Jason Clark would agree with us because I, I think that the HBO Max strategy was given a rocket boost by the cinem, cinematic first releases, but it was equally important to have Friends and Big Bang Theory, you know, and have TV on it also. You have to get the high and the low, and it's a volume business now, is I think is what I think it is more than anything else. And interestingly, you know, we our podcast has kind of changed with the times in that like Squid Game is a great example. We really loved the show and we had a lot of fun talking about it, but we mainly reference it as a Netflix story Mm -hmm. in in relation to the larger service and what that means. And I don't really think, I mean, people who listen to this podcast hopefully are along for the ride, but that's not how most people engage with things they they engage with now. Like a day. Yeah. (laughs) The the Halo thing is interesting. Um, I think, Last week, Peacock released its, um, you know, its numbers, basically, and it lost an enormous amount of money, but it lost less money than it lost the year before, mm-hmm. and it was designed to lose money for a while, and it's losing money in the right direction for the I company. I mean, I, I'm not giving it this... Yeah, they also said they were going to invest $3 billion in new content, right? Exactly. I'm not giving it a spin. I mean, like, I think that's, that is the deal that these companies make, where they're like, in order to compete, we have to spend to yeah. get the foundation to be a player in the future. And if we don't do it now, we'll get steamrolled later. Um, similarly, something like Halo, which, as you noted, has had a rocky path towards becoming something other than a multi-billion dollar video game franchise. So don't play your tiny violins just yet, Cortana. But uh, as Showtime, as a Showtime show, I think it would be judged and viewed as a individual blockbuster swing for one network. By Mm -hmm. smartly shifting it to Paramount Plus, this is not a comment on its potential quality, it becomes another piece. It becomes another piece in the armory. You know, um, they are making a play for this type of fan. This is the place you can see this. But remember, once you're here, you can also watch new episodes of Evil and or Paw Patrol. You know, it's... And Survivor, yeah. Yeah, and it's all part of it. Um, It is... It's increasingly, and I wonder if this is going to be the way we talk. I wonder if we're going to be using this terminology a lot more this year. But when we talked about HBO the other week and the success of HBO Max, we talked about them filling in gaps in their demographic, their audience demographics, Mm -hmm. by programming more towards, and and this is all reductive, so forgive us. But they do say, like, we we don't have enough 
uh, female viewers between the ages of 30 and 50. So we're going to make shows that traditionally may or may appeal to those viewers. And it seems like it's worked with the Sex and the City reboot or... Um, Gossip Girls, Sex Lives of College uh, Girls, yeah. Hacks, et cetera. So that's what this is about. I'm going to zag here because the thing with Halo, I've just finished saying like, it almost doesn't matter what it is because it's just a chip in the larger game. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that takes some of the pressure off of it. Honestly, right. right. I, I I don't know. I also don't know what it's. This sounds so silly for a video game show, but I don't know what its creative purpose is because to watch the trailer, which we will transition to, you can you guys can watch it. They have done a phenomenal job making the video game but with real things like that looks, you know what I mean? Like good job on that. That's yeah. really cool. You they did it. They fucking did it. They did it, man. They also, did at you, least for the did purposes you remember, of the trailer. It, what's the thing for the, the first game? Is it always like the covenant? Wasn't there like the brood or something like that? Yo, or the, the flood? What was that? If we are really for real, for real talking about like the great watch sitting in front of a TV moments of the 21st century for me, it's the plot twist in the first Halo where you're oh, like, yeah. yeah, I'm hanging around on this pretty ring world and I'm jumping in Jeeps and shooting <laughs> aliens or whatever. And then you go into a lab and you're like, this is cool and it's getting a little weird, but this is just a game where I shoot guys that kind of look like mean donkeys. And then you unlock the flood, I think mm-hmm. it's called. And suddenly it's aliens. And oh, yeah. there's like a million of them and they're swarming at you and bursting out of things. That's right. That was great. Good job by them. <laughs> Good job by Halo. But so I assume they have a lot of that to play with. But I guess what I was going to say was for the purpose of the trailer, they hit a lot of correct structural notes of being like, here is here is a story that is a TV show that is not a video game where they're mm-hmm. like, you know, humanity's ultimate weapon will be its savior or whatever. And they, you know, filling in backstory or whatever. The work required to do this stuff, I think it's probably gotten less difficult there's that um what is the the pedro pascal show coming for hbo the last of us which is based on a video game that i'm not familiar with but was a sensation and i would imagine that the narrative just the 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 level of skill in the narrative or the, the complexity of the narrative of a later video game like like the last of us is probably at a much different level than halo which was still coming out of the like yeah, this this game is called Metroid, and then you just run and shoot people, and at the end, she's a lady. Yeah, and that's the story. Um, Halo. Well, I I looked on in YouTube, and I was like, I wonder what like the the like mythology of Halo is like since it's we it, played. It, it, it seems complex. It's dense. Yeah, like there was a thirty five minute <laughs> yeah. recap video of cutscenes from Halo to be like the entire history and mythology of Halo. So yeah. Shout out Cortana. I'm glad to see her back in the mix. It's also, though, interesting because the purpose of a first-person shooter was to make a character as anonymous as possible so you could become the person. And also, you could not feel bad about really just playing, you know, versus mode and murdering your friends. Right. It was to actually strip humanity from it. So the character of Master Chief is really just a suit with a little Siri telling them what's what. (laughs) And now they're like, yes, but what if that suit was Pablo Schreiber? Okay. <laughs> it looks good though, man. It looks it looks like they went and they went to Hungary and they did it. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. While we wait for a billion subscriber streaming service to swallow Mm. us up full, Mm. uh, whether or not it's led by Master Chief or not, TV, whatever it is now, keeps trucking along. And I thought we sure could does. talk a little bit about one of the biggest hits of of like just regular old television. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a show we mentioned around the holidays last year because uh, it's Abbott Elementary on ABC. And they had released the pilot or the first episode uh, to Hulu. Uh, I think they aired it, but they also put it on Hulu and they were like, here, soak it up. 
and we'll see you in what six weeks or whatever when we do the mm-hmm. regular season. Interesting gambit. It seems to have definitely worked because I believe Abbott Elementary saw like 300% growth uh, over the course of 35 days uh, mm-hmm. on that premiere episode. So that now, according to Deadline, it's been seen by like 7 million people by now. Five episodes have aired of this show by now, and they're all up on Hulu if you want to check them out. It's also on ABC on Tuesdays. And it it just seems like we've got like pretty much like in this day and age what you would call a hit on our hands, right? This show's a hit. It makes <laughs> yeah. me so happy. We yeah. talked about it last December because we found it incredibly charming and incredibly also um, playing to the cheap seats with us because it's a like a Philly a, a Philadelphia set show that makes yeah, lots I mean, of Philadelphia references. Guys, the f- beginning of the second episode is just a five minute joke about the long running veteran news anchor Jim Gardner and how even <laughs> like teachers at an inner city school find him really hot. Um, this we were gonna like this show. We get it. But I, I'm so thrilled and delighted by this show and that it exists. And I and I have a I struggle articulate I, I think I struggle a little bit articulating why it's similar to what I tried to say last month. Quinta Brunson, who created this show, makes it look so easy. Mm-hmm. I, I I hope that you can under like I, I don't mean that it is easy. Making any kind of TV show is hard. Making a comedy is hard. Making a comedy that is indebted to a beloved show like The Office, which it is, and she admits that it is. But it's a different level of... It, being indebted to something is even more complicated these days because you can also just watch The Office. It's not like people are like, oh, I'm so glad something that reminds me of The Office is on. You could just mm-hmm. watch The Office or Parks and Rec. She's made something that is at once just wickedly funny, but incredibly sweet and earnest in a way that I find very moving. You know, yeah. it... it there's been a lot of stories about how actual public school teachers have rallied to the show and celebrated it and feel seen in the show. It's a wonderful reminder about how, uh, you know, in, in people's desire to put truth on the screen, comedy can do it too. And sometimes can do it more nimbly than, you know, an incredibly self-serious look at the challenges that, 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 you know, that, public schools in America are facing. This show is all about the challenges public schools in America are facing, but it's primarily about a phenomenally cast and selected group of characters who see the best in it and do their best in it. And yeah. it, it, I, I, I watch it and I'm, it's like every episode, you know, it's a network TV show. Every episode's like 21 minutes <laughs> and I'm watching it like with absolutely bifurcated brain where half of my brain is just dying because it's so funny and it makes me happy and I'm happy that it's on. But the other half of my brain is just like, Quinta Brunson could have made any characters and she somehow picked the five most malleable best characters to tell us this story and then put them in a world that can continue to grow and expand as needed. You know, where like the first episode, the janitor is just like has one throwaway line and they're like, yeah, that's going to (laughs) work. Yeah. And so the conspiracy theorist janitor is my favorite character probably. And and then and then just the fact that like even in the early going in the first five episodes, you can feel the writers' room being like, well, what if the principal was also a prepper? Yeah. Or what if we did a TikTok thing, you know? Or what if um, the substitute teacher who is the, who is oh the, Tyler James Williams' character, Gregory. Tyler James Williams' yeah. character, Gregory. Yes, they're like, well, what's funny about him other than his great deadpan look? It's like, well, what if he just actually doesn't know what he's doing in the room, where he puts up inspirational posters and can't decipher children's art? Like, there's just these wonderful little moments. It's the most, I'm trying to think of a show that has felt as fully formed from jump. Uh, I mean, this, I, this is I what the networks, this is why they do what they do. And yeah, they this did is why it. they have such a, like a stringent development process, I imagine. You know, like I was thinking about obviously uh, the durability of the docu, the mockumentary, which is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like if you'd shown me The Office UK, I wouldn't imagine that we would have 10, 12 other shows that had kind of tried that out, especially shows like, um, the Office, U.S., Modern Family, and Parks all being very successful with those kinds of mm-hmm. uh, with the, with that format. And I was thinking about some of those other shows. Modern Family, not so much in the beginning. Although I guess it, you know, if, if, if I can expose myself as a Modern Family scholar, when you first start with Modern Family, like the Phil character is like a much more of a like buffoon I think it's like everybody's characters are much more extreme but I was thinking about how 
on Abbott, they don't do the like, we have to soften Leslie Nope or Michael Scott six episodes into this or a season into this. It's like they kind of already had everybody at exactly the right pitch going into yes. it. And rather than have a pretty, I don't know, I wouldn't say spiky, but like, you know, complicated main character who is also the narrator of the show, whether it's Leslie or Michael, like Janine is just like, is fantastic hang from jump. And even though she's like, she does things and she, she kind of falls on her face a couple of times. It's not like, obviously like Michael, where it's like, I'm the coolest boss or Leslie, who's like, I'm this, you know, the parks commissioner, but I'm somehow also like, you know, representing government participation in America. I just thought it was a really interesting, like variation on a theme. Yeah. I I think, um, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who's just, just phenomenal. Um, as Mrs. Howard, you know, in the pilot is, is a little bit of a foil. But mm-hmm. she's also plays it with such like full, full humanity that you understand that she's not going to be mean. She's just going to do what she's going to do. And so a lot of the early episodes are, a, you know, if if there's a little bit of Leslie Nope in Janine, um, the other characters are not like the wheels of apathy trying to grind her down. The other characters are wheels of reality. Yeah. And saying like, we also are like you. We just save some energy and eat breakfast, you know? <laughs> So that we have the energy to do it again tomorrow. And the central conflict is so good because the central conflict is just how are we going to make this work every day, Mm -hmm. you know? And thus, there's no real enemy. There's just the situation, which makes it incredibly pure situation comedy. You know, it's they actually are striving and there's a lot of, but there's humor baked into that striving. It's not the like, let's hang out at a bar and then maybe get enough bar war with another bar, which is Cheers. And, you know, not to disrespect <laughs> Cheers, they made it work. It's one of the greatest shows of all time. Or The Office, where it's just like, we have to generate this, but the whole big, the whole, the thing that everyone agrees is that the sale of paper in the Scranton area is very low stakes and preposterous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And somehow, I mean, kudos to them. The genius of that show is they mine 10 seasons of deeply invested emotional stakes out of that. Right. This show's got your stakes. Yeah. And you've got the characters. And man, it just feels, you know what, you know what, Chris? I feel like this is probably what it feels like to be from Cincinnati today. Because it, it's like, it's really nice to, to root for a winner. For Joe B? Hell yeah. Well, I, I, I just mean with this show, it's just like, yeah, this show should be a hit. And I feel like we will talk about, okay, like the, what was it? The North Water, uh-huh. right? Which is not a, they're both yeah. on television. But they're not similar shows. I wasn't like, if only more people could see zero, zero, yes. zero. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when we watched it, we weren't Play like... a light to their life. <laughs> we weren't upset yeah. that more people didn't experience the trauma of the international illicit drug trade. This show is built to succeed, and it ought to succeed. And it, the fact that it is succeeding makes me feel good. I, yeah. I really love it. And like, all those, you know... <laughs> Like like all those times I was walking on the sand and there was only one set of footprints, all those times, listeners, when I have not done my homework and I've not watched a show for the Watch Podcast, just know I'm watching this. Okay. <laughs> do you want to do any uh, dispatches from the trail with 1883? Yeah, I, because... So like last night I was, I, you know, I, I, I was having my personal private time after the NFC Championship <laughs> watching 1883. And, Quick uh, check-in. Was the NFC Championship shared time with your wife? And then you were like... Phoebe, I need a, I need a break. I need to watch a show. No, I look at the NFC Championship as like doing my part for the ringer. You know, like I'm. Okay. I mean, first of all, I'm engaged. I thought in you football. were like. I thought you were like. This is my, this is our together time. <laughs> no, and now okay. But then I, uh, you know, I so I was watching 1883, and I, I I knew that that might be a solo journey for me, and I sent Andy. You know, one of Andy's big comments about the um the first episode of 1883 was the. Uh, the quick quick studies on the part of all the German immigrants who swore they couldn't speak a lick of English, but then were like, <laughs> when faced with smallpox, all of a sudden thrown around bants like they're in His Girl Friday. Uh, there was a really great all, moment. All of a sudden, they were like, I need to exfoliate. Yeah, exfoliate. on a recent episode of 1883, <laughs> where one of the guys is like, don't touch mine wagon. <laughs> Which I kind of wanted to get put on a bumper sticker and give to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I just, uh, I, I continue to love this show. Rita Wilson showed up on the most recent episode, uh, which is now creates an interesting, you know, shared universe with the Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson universe, whatever that is. Yeah, her husband was on the show. 
Yeah, he was in a brief moment uh, in the second episode. But then you watched the most recent episode, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Listen, maybe it was looking at those old photos of us, but I just feel like I, I have to be, first and foremost, I have to be your friend. You yeah. know, and I, I, I can't, I can't let you, your, thine wagon is mine wagon. Okay. <laughs> you understand? Like you're not going to cross all those rivers alone. I know. And I, 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 there, I genuinely, I do not take pleasure in not liking this popular show about a period of American history that I just recently spent a year immersed in reading sure. the novels of Larry McMurtry. So I wanted to check it out again, and I am glad that I did, because I think, first of all, I still think it's, I still think all of this is a very interesting project. Sure. Like, it, it is just amazing to me, and lucrative for them, that the Viacom Corporation was just like, here you go, send us the daily, you know what, don't send us the dailies, right. send us the shows to Taylor Sheridan. Um the show is, of course, more interesting when it is about the thing that I found interesting in in the Lonesome Dove novels, which is, holy shit, it was tough to be alive. Yeah, yeah. And the actual struggle of men and women versus nature and just how literally elemental it is, is really moving and powerful. And it's it's noteworthy that Taylor Sheridan is using some of his, of the largesse afforded to him to shoot this stuff, to yeah. really like have the resources and the vistas and the cattle to do it, you know? And it looks better than the Lonesome Dove miniseries. Well, the they also the make 80s. the Lonesome Dove outfit in terms of like their management mm -hmm. of the cattle drive. Mm -hmm. They make it look like the LeBron Wade Bosch heat, you know? Like that was like, it was smooth sailing to the finals. These guys are like, this wheel broke. You're staying. You know, you're, you know, you're like, you're staying in this area between Fort Worth and Abilene. And the amount of resistance the land is giving these people is really yeah. fascinating. Uh, we've got we've had some bandits pop up, so that's that's exciting for me personally. I also really love like the the sort of there's um two episode, it's called River and, and Crossing. And there's there's like a two episode run in the middle here where they basically have to negotiate crossing the Brazos with this. Mm -hmm. A uh, huge wagon train of German, although every time I turn on subtitles on this show, it says, parentheses, German Slavic chatter. <laughs> it's like what, oh. what we're hearing around camp. But uh, this immigrant wagon train, and uh, every time like anything happens, like and they're like... They go up to Sam Elliott and they're just like, that was, that was terrible. You said you weren't going to help us. And he's just like, that's the easiest day you'll ever have out here, brother. I don't know why I'm making him sound like Randy Savage, but it's awesome <laughs> how like every time they're like, that's the easiest river you'll ever cross. But the whole Brazos thing is awesome. And now I feel like once the show got moving, quite literally, now everybody has stuff to do. And like Faith Hill could go off and be like, uh, like oversee the herd one day and Tim McGraw can get mad about his daughter falling in love with a cowboy and stuff like, and just get going, you know? Yeah. I mean, I still think it's such an odd mixture of spectacle and sanctimony. I mean, it is not, the characters go off to do their episodic adventures, like go get drunk with Rita Wilson, but like the reasons for doing so and the way that it ends up, I still feel like there's nothing surprising there, but I don't know why I'm looking for surprise in this show. That is not his, um, Metier. That's not what he's doing. You mm -hmm. know, what he is doing is reaching broadly and strongly for to get to moments like when Sam Elliott is comforting the young woman who's the lead, whose name I'm suddenly blanking on as we're as we're talking about. Oh, Elsa uh, is the character. Yeah, to Elsa when he explains grief to her. Yeah, right. And Sam Elliott is acting his ass off. <laughs> he's great. She's really strong, and it reaches for something pretty universal and true. And it's not fancy and it's not, um, it's not clever, but he doesn't do clever, you know? No, and I, and like, I found, I found that very, I found that not, it's not just that I found it moving in terms of the performance and the, and the framing of this, of the scene. I was like, there is something, I, I guess what I want to say is I feel like Taylor Sheridan believes, and I think this is a mission and I, I don't even mean to mock it, that like, it, that to him, writing is almost like mining. Like you chip at the rock and you chip at the rock and you chip at the rock and then there's a gem that's been there for a million years, right? And that's kind of what that scene functioned as for me. It's like, oh, he unearthed something that was pure and yeah. universal. And that was a really 
earned and nice moment. And then and then we move on and it moves very slowly and gradually, but so did wagon trains. You know, it it's 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 working. I Were guess you psyched this, that, this weird uh, way to sit to express it. That they hired a cook. <laughs> yes, but I was like, I, I kind of wish there was more lonesome dove in it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you may remember the uh the great cook from from Lonesome Dove who <laughs> <laughs> who not only spends his time just like wistfully digging up prairie onions and being like, this will be the greatest thing you've ever eaten with freshly melted snow on it. Right. But is also like, don't ask me any more questions because I murdered my family and sent my wife to hell. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Although lots of sending to hell has happened. People, uh, have, been sent, people have been sent to hell, but like it, I, I got to give into it because I think you, you have already stamped your immigration papers for the Sheridan verse. Like you live there. Now. Oh yeah. But I also and, think that he's writing, like, I think he writes shows that he wants to watch and I want to watch them too. Like there is yeah. some, like at its heights, I think it approaches like, you know, like what Michael Mann tried to get with last the Mohicans or, you know, like I, I don't think it's trying to, I don't want to say reinvent the wheel. I think he's like, this is no. what I think it might have been like, and then sometimes there's like like anachronistic lines or whatever. Like, but I find it to be like a very very involving show. I and, and so it's 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 really, and I I find it quite not, if not moving, sometimes moving and very thrilling at times. I think um, I, I'm finding it interesting to I'm sort of bucking against it, but the bridle is slipping on, you know, and like maybe I'm a little bit like Elsa's horse at the end of the episode. <laughs> where Sam Elliott's like, does, does the horse not like the water? And she's like, it's his favorite part. And then he's like, better get to it. And then she's like, puts the horse in the water. Then the horse is in the water, right? Yeah. And once the horse is in the water. <laughs> That's you. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was that was the thing I learned from Lonesome Dove. The horses can kind of swim. They sure can. Um, we swim. We swim through our Monday podcast, Andy. We'll <laughs> come to the end of it. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for getting the saddle on again. Thanks to Kai McMullen for producing. And we'll be back on Thursday. We're going to talk a little bit about Pam and Tommy, that those crazy kids just trying to make it work. Have you checked it out yet? I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna too. I wasn't. Listen, no, I wasn't I, trying I, to... I, not getting ahead of myself. No, but you're you, you're like Sam Elliott. The next thing is going to be the hardest thing you ever did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>